Welcome to Skeptex, the weekly show where we take a deep dive into the world of tech news, politics, research, and occasionally something else. I'm Nayana. And I'm Josh, and as Nayana says, we're doing a slightly different thing with the show today. Sometimes a media artifact like a film or a TV show comes along that has some relevance to tech that we just think we really want to talk about on the mm-hmm. show. Previously, we've done Severance, uh, but this time we are talking about the finale and indeed the entire series of Succession. Yes, um, I'm so glad we're finally talking about this. Josh and I have been big fans for a little while. And as the final episode of the show ever aired yesterday or on Sunday night in the US, um, we're really excited to talk about it. And as usual, we'll be kind of bringing our slant of thinking about tech and politics in the context of the show. There's so much to discuss with regards to the characters and the kind of Shakespearean element of that, but we're kind of focusing more on what our wheelhouse is. But anyway, first thoughts. So first we should say this is a spoiler-filled discussion of Succession. If you have not yet seen the last um, episode, nor indeed the last season, we suggest you turn this off now and listen when you have. Um, So starting with that, Josh, any big takes on the, the big winners and losers of the final episode? Yeah, well, obviously there was the big twist uh, towards the end of the episode where Shiv shivved her brother uh, <laughs> and uh, ended up giving notional control of the company to her husband, Tom, yeah. but really um, greased the wheels for the deal to be done with the mm-hmm. mercurial Swedish uh, tycoon Matson. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that was, the, that was the twist. I had sort of seen rumours of a twist later on, so even towards the end of the episode, when it looked like everyone's getting along, I knew to expect that things would change as it so often does in succession. So yeah, I mean, the the big takeaway is that I think this was the changing of the guard really from the old media to the new media, and there's going to be loads of parallels with real life um, in the course of the show. The other caveat to say is that these characters aren't based on huh. specific people, but I think we can um, pick out some serious commonalities with, with the real world, both in the kind of main characters, but also some of the background characters too. And to that extent, yeah, this seems to represent the the old media uh, receding into their large pots of wealth. Uh, And new media tycoons like the Swedish uh, Matson taking over. But what was your... What was your feeling about how they wrapped it up and were you kind of satisfied by the ending? Um, it's, it is in some ways an ending that makes perfect sense in the context of the show. Um, I've always been a big fan of Tom for some reason. I don't know, maybe because he represents something kind of different to the Roys and their sort yeah. of family violence and trauma and tension. You know, for him, it is just kind of a job, actually, in many mm. ways. And for someone like Kendall, it's, it's everything. He talks in the show about how it's what he's wanted since he was seven years old. Um, and him finally losing everything is this actually really heartbreaking moment. I I was so emotionally struck by that, and it's a show that I mean we've said it, people have said it multiple times, makes you feel for these uh, billionaire tycoons. Yeah. I think Matson getting it is interesting because it does represent this change. And Jesse Armstrong has said that the show is over, but obviously the lives of these people continue. We don't have any. We don't know, for example, how long Waystar Royko Gojo will last. Um, could be something that quite quickly is taken apart by like antitrust legislation. Could be something that Tom Wamsgans and Matson kind of drive into the ground. Um, and yeah, I think that it is heartbreaking also to see the way in which these siblings hurt each other one last time. This feels like something they can't come back from. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you definitely get the sense at the end that Kendall is by himself. Yeah. Um, ostracized from his family. And Shiv is very lonely too. Yeah, in her own way, with mm. the, the hand gently placed <laughs> on, on Tom's in the car. At the end, apparently a script note in that said that uh, it was like they're transporting bombs was the, the stage direction for the yes, scene. Yes, I did see that, yeah. I have been reading the script for season one, two, and three, which are already out. It's very interesting to see. You mentioned influences, and obviously no mm. one person plays an influence on the show. It's very, it's kind of a Rupert, Rupert Murdoch story. Except for Willa, I suppose. <laughs> Except for Willa. And um, there's a sort of Rupert Murdoch element to the show, but there's also the Redstones, there's... Um, Jesse Armstrong talks in the script notes that uh, actually Ghislaine Maxwell was an influence for Shiv's character. Yeah. And the announcement of Logan's death mm. was apparently modelled, particularly that Shiv's sort of uh, reading in the statement was really yeah. modelled on that announcement of Max- Robert Maxwell's death. Yeah, yeah. And they, you know, the kind of the favourite daughter uh, element mm. of this as well. Um, so there's the Ghislaine Maxwell, there's some big Shakespeare elements, there's Richard III, there's obviously King Lear, which is a great throwback to Brian Cox being King Lear. Um, but in terms of thinking about like some of the new influences, um, tech CEOs and tech, you know, this the story of this at the end of the show is that big tech has come for old media, um, and that these legacy companies and these families are being, you know, surrendering to these new new tycoons, and we can't call them new money exactly because we don't know very much about them, and we get the impression they're very privileged and rich in their own way. But what do you think about that kind of messaging of the show, and you know, where do you think it goes from here? Yeah, I think it's clever how the plot and the characters are sort of designed to make it seem like one thing before yeah. it turns into something else. And I think for a long time the show was pitched as being a bit of a Game of Thrones for the 21st century Manhattan. Uh, but actually what we see towards the end, as, you, as you're getting at, is that the tides of history are quite different. And really what starts as kind of a family drama, almost like a royal court with Logan mm-hmm. in the middle and uh, even Greg as the jester uh, all the way down... Uh, turns into something quite different and something a lot more faceless uh, by the end, where it's actually a lot more of a capitalist project. Mm. Um, anything is up for sale. America is up for sale. Yeah. is the message that's been get, getting across. And the fact that Madison isn't uh, American um, speaks to that. I think the choice of sort of Scandinavia is, was a good hmm. culture to sort of other in the show. And I think that... Uh, you know, clearly this, you know, Spotify is the sort of biggest uh, Scandinavian company at the moment. So maybe that was some of the illusions that yeah. were being drawn to, to Spotify there as a sort of generic media company. But whether it's Sweden or uh, Asia or, uh, you know, any other part of the world uh, that is flowing capital into America. So by the end, when you have um, Tom as the sort of real heartland mm. Americana character, he is, as you say, he's just an avatar, really, just a face, just a pain because sponge. Because they need an American CEO. Exactly, to, to provide the fronting for it. But mm. really, behind the scenes, this is no longer an American company by any stretch. It's, a multi, it's always been a multinational, but now it's a multinational uh, owned and operated by fundamentally new money coming from the old world, I suppose. Yeah, that's a great point. And um, I've been listening to... Alexander Skarsgård talk about his role a little bit on the yeah. show. Um, you know, the question many people have asked him on podcasts is, is your character based on Elon Musk? <laughs> and of course, there, we can see that in his in the way he depicts it in the sort of, um, I think one moment that's particularly funny is when his head of comms, whose name is Ebba, says, you know, he's not even a coder. He's yeah. just this guy that we pretend, we just like brought him up and like made him pretend to do all this. And obviously yeah. that could be a sort of, veiled takedown of um, Elon Musk as yeah. well, who's someone who's got the reputation of coding without actually being a coder. 
Um, and I think there's this important element of him being not American, as you say. Like, yeah. he is actually still capable of being... He's the outsider to this. He's doing a lot of this because it's fun for him. Yeah. Um, and I think that sort of represents the how mobile, how quick big tech is. You know, all these Roy kids, they want it for these complicated, deeply traumatic reasons. And an outsider just comes in and puts some money down because it's fun. Yeah. Or actually because, as I think they say towards the end of season three, he just says, everything is boring. Yeah. And this is the only thing that's maybe not so boring. It's just like a moment of interest. Um, and we're used to characters in the show tossing around billions and billions like it's no big deal. Maybe because they're bored, maybe because they want to impress their dad, but um, that's always been the succession, something that the succession has done really well. Yeah, even when the numbers are pretty abstract or notional to those of us who have any experience of that, that kind of hmm. money, uh, it felt meaningful and it felt, despite the huge sums involved, it, you know, as we say, it felt very personal, but also mm. very impersonal with this breakout character of Matson, who I agree had a massive sort of impact and big role on the show this season. I think the other character lurking yeah. in the background was this uh, murky politician Menken, mm. who I was quite surprised actually they didn't resolve the election. It's held no. up in the cause. I thought that was a deliberate show of, I think there's something where, so for people in the final episode, there's an allusion to the fact that Wisconsin may be called the other way. So yes. while Barrett Menken has been, you know, he's seemingly the president, there's this, maybe this feeling that it might not happen, or at least his presidency might be one that's made on this kind of shaky ground, as indeed the presidencies of other candidates have happened in the past. But I was surprised too at how little that character actually appeared in the season. He's just almost more of a menacing presence. Yeah, and when he did appear, how little he actually said. Mm -hmm. He just sort of lingered in the background. But you drew the allusion to Musk, and we can't help uh, mm -hmm. avoiding another story that we probably would have covered on the show in a normal episode, which is, of course, uh, Ron DeSantis' rather disastrous mm. launch of his campaign on Twitter Spaces, yep. uh, which which fell apart, but which featured a conversation between Musk and DeSantis and the moderator. Um, and this kind of cosy, very transactional relationship between big tech and um, political figures, particularly populist right-wing figures, uh, is, uh, yeah, a, a kind of a menacing and, and foreboding part of mm. succession, a bit that I think that grows very gradually in the background. So again, it's hard to to look uh, past that kind of illusion in the show, whether it's Trump um, or DeSantis or any other figure on the right being sort of uh, caught up in this composite character of Mencken. Uh, that that fact, the fact that initially you know Shiv was working for the sort of mm. Bernie Sanders style mm. campaign Gil. against Gil, against the Trump like character, ended up um, you know furnishing and, and making this deal happen between. Uh, ostensibly sort of progressive or you know apolitical Swedish figure and uh, uh, and the right wing um, figure of Mencken. By the end, I think that at least they, they they're talking, they're getting all well, and they know how to make a deal between each other. Mm. So carving out this access in new media spaces for novel political campaigns is something that I think comes across as well in the background of the show behind all the personal drama which takes the foreground. Yeah, although it's not just big tech and new media that's doing it. I mean, uh, from the very beginning of the show, we see that Logan Roy has a relationship with who they call the Raisin, who's the president before yeah. um, before all this. He's Californian, hence the name the Raisin. Um, there are frequent calls to the White House. There's a relationship in that, you know, the president will go easy on them if they suck up to him essentially in yeah. their media coverage because ATN is sort of the Fox News equivalent in yeah. many ways um, so there is this kind of 
slightly symbiotic relationship between them, which is transforming a little bit because now we have these two two new candidates. Um, and one of the factors of Matson is that he's actually one of the one of the characters who seems genuinely shocked when Mencken wins. There's something very foreign to him about this kind of election and the yeah. idea that it can be called by in-house um, journalists by, you know, it's a very different system to Sweden, obviously. Um, and Jared Menken and Manson are both much younger than the president we never see and, and Logan. They're these agile men. Um, they're sort of, you know, they're courting like a younger dynamic of people. Um, and I definitely thought Menken was a very menacing character to have in this season, but maybe better deployed because he's so little seen. And I think the other interesting point is that the counter to him is this Democrat candidate called Jimenez, who we actually see very little of, who's mm-hmm. very underwhelming in many frothy, ways. Bit of a lightweight. Yeah. Um, and, you know, compared to Menken, who has this hold on all of them, whether it's fear or terror or admiration, um, he means something to them. Um, and I think it's interesting how they show the, the, the personality of this um, character as well. But in terms of another interest, then, talking about the politics episode, episode eight was called America Decides and is very focused on the election, Mm -hmm. uh, specifically within the newsrooms at ATN, where the the Roy siblings, as well as Tom, um, are making a bunch of calls. Uh, What did you think of the way they've they've obviously done this before, but this was kind of their big politics episode of the Mm -hmm. season and in many ways the most significant thing of the season was the this election. How did you feel about that episode? And how do you feel, what are they talking about there? Yeah, I mean, it was clearly a spectacle. I think what they were going for was a bit of an amalgamation of the real life 2016 and 2020 yeah. presidential elections. 2016, given the kind of shock that coming from behind, you know, we all had that foreboding sense, both from the real life Trump election, but also from Brexit here, where the expected left of centre candidate starts mm-hmm. to lose support over the course of the evening and the right wing candidate emerges. Uh, and so I, you know, I felt very sort of uncomfortable watching that episode, like kind of knowing, very stressful, isn't knowing it? that this, this, you know, really took me back to 20, 2016. But then I think the other illusion uh, was to 2020, where Fox News was actually yeah. one of the, fir- <laughs> the first network to call Arizona, not for President Trump, but for uh, what became President Biden, which really... Um, stuck a dagger through the narrative of the Trump campaign that this yeah. was his election and that any idea that Biden was going to win was was a falsehood. So that, that, <laughs> that I think, in an interesting way, drew together the two elections. Of course, what happened in the episode itself was that the call was, the early call was made not for uh, for the left-wing candidate, but for the right-wing candidate. And mm-hmm. so that brought those two campaigns together in quite an effective way. Yeah, it's a really fascinating insight into the decision-making that happens on news channels and how that can actually... Uh, because, you know, you have this moment where these three Roy siblings, none of whom, apart from Shiv, have any political experience, but even she shouldn't be there, are talking about, well, this has happened in Wisconsin. What should mm-hmm. we do? What is the... Does it, what, do, what does happen if um, votes are literally burned... It's both an insight into how um, flimsy, I think, these elections can be. And also the kind of, you know, it's such a ridiculous thing to happen, right? Like mm-hmm. uh, like votes literally going up in smoke. And these three people who have very personal stakes in this, business interests, and also hates and, you know, loves of each other. Mm-hmm. Um, in the end, Kendall kind of calls it not just because he's 
you know, because he, not because he thinks necessarily that's the right thing to do, but because he's angry at Shiv and he wants to get back at her. And we see the mirror image of that play out in the finale where, yes. again, it's Roman kind of in the middle mm. casting the sort of weak but decisive vote and, and reflecting the, the changing opinions where it's Shiv who turns on uh, Kendall uh, the other way around uh, and kind of decides to withdraw her vote um, from the, the board meeting which decides the fate of the company mm. so I think that was paralleled quite well um, and yeah. a bit of a revenge I suppose for the way that Kendall and Roman turned around and, and took that act of betrayal uh, to heart and, and decided therefore to change the fate of the country because of a personal crime. Right and we're so we're reminded so many times that these people were children together and that at the heart of a lot of their decision making is this childlike element and yeah. the politics episode Roman says to Kendall I want this because when we were growing up I always wanted steak and you always got chicken and we had to have chicken because you wanted it and then in this episode the final episode Kendall is reduced to saying nothing more than I'm the eldest son like yeah. that's why he wants this eldest boy. the eldest boy I'm the eldest boy which I thought was a really incredible reflection of something that Shiv says in the funeral episode where she says that we were always playing outside his office and they're still kind of just these kids yeah. playing outside and their then father's of course office. The meal fit for a king. Yeah, meal right? fit for a king, absolutely. They're just they're they, they are just children playing outside the office, but these children have the power to decide the fate of the country. And of course the fate of the country doesn't really apply to them. It doesn't even matter. Yeah. Even for Shiv who theoretically cares about the Democratic candidate, it doesn't matter if Menken wins or Jimenez wins. It doesn't matter if there's uncertainty. She is now richer than ever, actually, yeah. because of the deal. I mean, I think the way that they weave in the just the briefest of glances uh, between them and the sort of the polis itself is really mm. clever. Roman, of course, gets in a bit of a scrap with protesters mm. at the end of episode nine. Yeah. At least him with scars on his face, which plays kind of a, a role in the finale. And then Kendall, the fact that Kendall has uh, mixed race um, children, uh, play you know, that that crops up in the sense that he feels mm. through his children just elements of uh, of hatred um, aimed at them. So they do have some, yeah, sort of glancing blows um, from the, what what a sort of mink and what a right populist presidency would mean. But as you say, they're so far removed from it in day to day life. I saw an interview with um, or a piece written by one of the writers on, on the staff who, who uh, as with Jesse Armstrong, is British and has written a lot of British comedy and they had to bring in a sort of very rich consultant evidently to tell them what it's like to be a very rich person. And one of the things that they said is that these people's feet never touch the ground. They're yeah. going from carpet to carpet, from, you know, executive jet to to welcome Matt to the corporate office. Yeah. I think that really gets across the idea that these people's feet, yeah, really, really don't touch the ground yeah. in any meaningful way. On that, on a very specific note, that Kieran Culkin has an interview where he talks about how he realised that because these people are so rich, they actually don't really wear coats because yeah. you never need to. You're just going from car to building to private jet. You know, it's a really interesting indicator of extreme wealth. They also apparently don't duck when they leave helicopters. That's another oh. tale that was in the original script, and they, they it, changed <laughs> it because they know not. To, obviously, you don't need to duck when you walk out of a helicopter. You're not. Your head isn't going to get hit by the propeller. Fascinating. But people think. People who don't know how helicopters work. I'd absolutely make that mistake. Yeah, me too. Yeah, that's a really interesting. Okay. So you mentioned something, which is that Jesse Armstrong and many of the writers are British. And the mm. writer's room was actually uh, based in London mm. um, for the, the entire time, even though there is a kind of moving writer's room during filming. Some of the actors, too, um, like Matthew McFadgen, yep. most notably, uh, Sarah Snook is Australian. But let's think of this, I think, in some ways as a British production, because I think it is. It mm. is notable that... 
a British person chose to take this on. Um, and that person was also a writer on a show that we both love, which yeah. is the thick of it. So how do you think the kind of British nature of the show, the idea that it's not made by Americans, the idea of someone else telling the story about America is significant? Yeah, I think it comes across very subtly um, through the course of the show, a bit like um, Matthew McFadden's accent. Yes. It's, it's, not, it's not obvious, you know, it's only when you sort of spend many, many hours with it that you might realise otherwise. Yeah. Um, so as you say, Jessica Armstrong um, helped to write The Thick of It, also Peep Show, which I'm a big fan. Me too. I think Peep Show is an interesting one because that features two characters who are very much down and out in life mm. and resentful and seething in their own ways, but have nothing to sort of show for, or very little to show for it in terms of capital. This ostensibly is a very different context, but you still find the same, the characters still very frustrated uh, with with their lot in mm. life, despite the fact that they've done extremely well and they've been extremely lucky in life. So that that sort of comes across, I think. There are some more explicit British references. You know, Brian Cox is uh, himself from Dundee and the show does eventually go to Dundee mm. and the sort of character is, um, uh, is sort of retro-conned to be from Dundee. Apparently, initially, he was going to be Canadian, from, Canadian yeah. from Quebec. Uh, so that was sort of changed eventually. Um, that comes across uh, in it. Obviously, the uh, Logan's estranged wife. One of them is is British as well. Uh, yes, Caroline. I think there's a really great. Oh yes, and the best thing about her husband is that his name is Peter Munyon, which is the most explicit reference to yeah. Peter Munyon MP from The Thick of It. But yeah. I do think we don't maybe we don't have time to talk about it. But Caroline's class background is really interestingly done and yeah. skewered on the show. Yeah. And then I think I enjoyed in the final episode the, the British accents that all of the <laughs> kids were trying, which some of them were quite good. Yeah, quite some funny. of them were quite good. I mean, Kieran Culkin's wife is British and like Sarah Snook is um, Australian, so I guess they're a little bit closer maybe. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think one thing that really interests me about this show and the thick of it is how it's people in these positions of extreme power. And the thing that strikes you when you watch it is how bad they are at their jobs. Mm. Um, you know, in the thick of it, you're like, this is the government. And they're just making decisions in the back seats of cars and on the phone and on the fly because mm. one person's mad at another person. And in, and I think the other thing in succession is that we never see Waystar Royco at the height of its power. We see this kind of dying empire. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Logan is sick and almost dies in the very first episode. So... What we, what we see is actually a bunch of people making decisions and doing things. And we think this company is is dead. I mean, mm-hmm. it, and that is what kind of pushes Logan to make the decision to sell yeah. towards the end of the, of the show. But um, it's really interesting. And obviously it's meant to be funny and heartbreaking and terrifying to see that these people are making these important political and business decisions based on just how they feel or who they're mad at. Yeah, exactly. What, what mood they're in. Yeah. yeah. So looking at the sort of bigger picture, hmm. where does the show rank for you in your sort of all-time favourite shows? And, and what do you think its sort of cultural legacy mm. will be maybe five or ten years from now? Assuming there's no spin-offs. I, I don't think there will be any spin-offs. No, but, I think it's movies, one of but, the great things about British TV is yeah. knowing when to leave well enough And four alone. seasons seems like the norm now, which I think is... Absolutely. Yeah. And given how... I mean, I, I don't think money is really the issue anymore, but it's an extremely involving process to write and film for a show like this and yeah. these people want to move on to different things. I'm, I'm really excited to see what Jesse Armstrong does next, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it is definitely, look, maybe my favourite show of all time. Wow. Um, but I haven't seen The Sopranos. Which is, Me neither, actually. Yeah, maybe that should long. be one that we <laughs> 
put on the roster. If it wasn't yeah. many seasons long, I'm sure I would have watched already. That's the thing. The norm, you know, 20 years ago was to do shows that were sort of, uh, yeah, 20 episodes a season yeah. and, and eight seasons. But I hear about The Sopranos and Succession and Breaking Bad as being in the same kind of ultimate, ultimate category of TV. Yeah, I think, you know, Succession is, is distinct, but it has a lot of... Um, it shares certain features with other great shows. So obviously there's the sort of descent of the main character that we see in Breaking Bad, but then also there's the role of institutions that yeah. we see in The Wire. And I think to- towards the end, as you say, there's kind of a new generation of, of people come in, but really the, the wheel just keeps rolling. You know, the the, the board votes and new CEO mm-hmm. comes in and new acquisition happens and so on. And so there's a cyclical nature to it, even though... In this, in the world of the show, as in our own world, it does feel like things are sort of breaking at a mm. rapid speed. There's still this kind of cyclical nature as well. And to many people who work for the company, it'll be like no big difference, right? To exactly. these huge players, the world has ended, the world has re- restarted. But to people, there's a really great moment towards the end when Kendall gets in the lift to go down, yeah. and you think he's going to be alone in the lift, and then just this guy just gets in after him. Yeah. And it's a really good, you know, thing of office culture of even when you're having a nervous breakdown, someone is going to get in the lift with you. But also, you know, for that guy, this is just job. This is just a job. It's just work. You know, you you work whoever the CEO is. I think an an interesting thing about succession where where we might and how it might be interesting to watch in like five or ten years is that a lot of shows try to be timeless and not refer to specific moments in Mm. their filming and in their script. But succession does do that. You know, it makes political references pop culture references twitter is brought up a lot um it's like the form of social media they all use um on the show mm. and so i think actually that's really brave to do that because yeah. it it does date it but in a way that is makes reference and doesn't make light of the fact this is a huge moment we're living through i think yeah. it points to how significant the era we're living through is yeah and it's sort of it, at least at the very least it's faithful to its time um, i thought it was interesting that in the kind of rhyme that uh, Logan um, tells in sort of the found footage that uh, Clinton is featured as a real life character you know, a lot of these shows will sort of use Kennedy as a stopping point yeah. uh, for when it diverges, I know the West Wing only went as far back as Kennedy basically yeah. but this um, this mentions Clinton, I suppose it is 20 years later as well but mm. the fact that Clinton, at least Bill Clinton uh, counts as a character or a real life character in this also grounds it in reality a little bit more definitely and you know there are references all around to these people and there are references to like the kind of i mean the, the 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 clothes that they wear and the people that they invite to their shows you know like these are real people and they they're like courting a real kind of new york elite who actually exists um and therefore i think it's the show that is very of this moment and i mean that in a very positive sense because i don't think there are enough shows that speak to the to the current moments that we live mm. through a lot of shows are too afraid to tackle that yeah and succession has never been afraid yeah but final thoughts maybe on yeah how we feel about how do you really feel about that end because we were talking a little bit before about how do we feel about who would you like to see come out on top of this well i think judging as a finale no finale feels no. perfect when you watch it for the first time mm. and a lot of them age tend to age pretty well compared to how they, how they mm. first feel. Um, in terms of what, what actually happened, I think it is quite a neat ending if you see that like Tom and, to an extent, Greg are the two strivers and climbers during the year. They are the hustlers. Yeah. In some ways, Tom is much more similar to Logan than any of his three kids. Absolutely, he is, yeah. And he is a self, for, to, as far as it goes, he is a self-made man. Mm. So the fact that he kind of has the keys to the kingdom 
to an extent, uh, is uh, is I think quite a quite a clever twist. But the fact that Shiv is still there in a dynastic sense as well is, is yeah. interesting too. Although, as the woman not in charge, um, but as you say, the real driver of the car now is Matson, this kind of other character who has his own skeletons and problems. Uh, and so the role that he will play going forward in this in this world would be would be mm. very interesting to find out. Did you want Ken to win? I was sort of that I, I was I was surprised by how sad I was yeah. to see how everything taken away from him. And these are you know, we don't have to say it, these are bad people. Yeah. They don't deserve these things. Yeah, no one yeah. But the show really punished him in a way that I think he's is not gonna recover from. Yeah, I think I think that's right. I think probably it's good that the you know, his manslaughter uh, <laughs> thing came up. It was getting a bit weird that that wasn't being mentioned or kinda of used against yeah. him. But again that speaks to how bad these people are that his siblings would Yeah, say. absolutely. And also maybe to an extent the idea that it doesn't matter because you get a good lawyer in this world and nothing matters. There was yeah. this huge moment where it seemed like Logan's company would fall under the weight of all these abuse allegations yep. and, and actually just, nothing just happened yeah, exactly. yeah because um what is it that logan says in season one is not a real person yeah it, it, exactly but in terms of how i felt i mean I, I think the show lured us in with this the feel of the three of them getting along well mm. i think i did actually kind of in, you know yeah. enjoy that in a childlike because as you say they are still humans and they are basically children yeah <laughs> and it's yeah. easy to feel sorry or to think children are cute <laughs> it's when they you know use that that the power that they do have to change the world in negative ways that and they should be judged. And it's so, so much testament to the acting and the writing that, you know, last week when Roman was breaking down at the funeral, I felt really emotional yeah, for him. Yeah, it's crazy. I felt so sad for Kendall this week. I felt terrible for Shiv at various points during the show. I mean, we, we, we have to care, otherwise what's the point? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I am a little sad that Ken, well, more than a little sad, I'm, it's kind of devastating to imagine everything being gone. But all in all, I think a great finale and a great... What a four seasons of yeah. a show. Um, really high quality. So tight. Uh, I've already rewatched some of it and it's great. Mm. Would recommend doing so and definitely would recommend getting the scripts mm. for people mm. who like to read those kinds of things. Yeah. Cool. Um, I've had a great time talking about this. Yeah, I'm glad we've got a few things <laughs> on our chest. We've compared notes. Um, Definitely. We should do this more with yeah. other shows that fit the... Or if there's a show that you think we should be talking about, let us know. We, we have are. a Sunday night... Or is it Monday night slot now? <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're reviewers for hire, so let us know if there's anything you want to hear us talk about. There's certainly a lot of peak TV out there right now. Do you think this is the, the peak of peak TV? I have a funny feeling this will look back at this as the real high point. With the, For example, the way that streaming platforms are now pulling back their investments HBO has always been a bit different, but I have well, a sense... Well, now HBO is just max, and I think yeah. a lot of things will... I think, yeah, I think maybe we'll look back and think this was it. This was the best it got because um, there are a lot of platforms that are losing money. And there's also this idea that some, like, we're just producing a lot. Yeah. Some of that will be terrible. And out of that, those some sometimes terrible things, we're getting some great shows like this. And I'm yeah. glad that we've been able to watch it kind of in real time. Definitely. Agreed. Well, Fantastic. until the next time, Anna. Until the next time. Bye-bye. Cheers.